0: Good week um, we 've been thinking about the home uh, for the, the, the I guess for this month here, and uh, we 're going to do this really quickly, but we are going to do it i want to I want to think with you briefly about the things we 've chatted about thus far uh, we 've talked about law leadership first in the home in a Christian home, and then we talked about law in a Christian home, and last week we talked about learning. In a Christian home. And of course, what we're doing, I mean, there's no way for me to uh, say, in one Bible class setting, say, hey, here is what a Christian home is. But like the church. uh, If you look at the scriptures, you can identify the church in the Bible by the characteristics of the church that you read about. And the same with a Christian home. I mean, there's certain things that stand out in the Bible. If a person says this is a Christian home, then there just are certain attributes that ought to be there. And so we're looking at some of those attributes today uh, or this uh, quarter. Um, Tell me something about law. Leadership was first in the Christian home. What stands out to you about leadership in the Christian home? Okay, recognizing that a leader is someone who's in charge and ultimately in a Christian home, who is that? In a Christian home, who is that? Always the Lord, right? In a Christian home, he's, he calls all the shots ultimately. Now he's got an earthly representative uh, but, uh, that man who's the head of his house has a head in a Christian home. Everybody knows that. What about law in a Christian home? What stands out to you about that? It's lightning round stuff. Law in a Christian home. Yes, sir. Were you going to say something? Okay. God gives us law. Um, now, we talk, what we talked about is underneath that law. He gives us some general principles that we're supposed to abide by. Uh, in a Christian home, though, there's going to have to be some specific rules. Now, the specific rules in one house may look a little different than another house. Circumstances are different, but there have to be some parameters in place uh, to sort of bring to pass what God wants to happen in that house. There have to be some specific uh, parameters that are put in place there. And uh, what about learning in a Christian home? What's the big idea there? We're always learning. That's right. Learning about what? Now, you guys, you guys, listen, I get spoiled because I go places and people talk to me and y'all, y'all know me, right? I go places, people talk to me. It's no problem. Then I come home and everybody goes quiet. What's the big idea about learning in a Christian home? OK, the home is the center for higher learning. Deuteronomy six tells us that, right? This has to be a place where the word of God is studied and thought about and talked about and how many people need to be in the home for that to be true. If it's one person, if it's a married couple without kids, if there's a married couple with kids, if there's a single parent with kids, if the grandparents are living there, uh, the word of God is supposed to be talked about and thought about on a consistent, regular basis. Now, that's something that would distinguish a Christian home, right? Those things that we just looked at, those would distinguish a Christian home. All right, well, let's think about love in a Christian home. Um, Part of being a Christian. Love is part of being a Christian. The Bible says God is love. The Bible tells us that He has commended His love toward us. We know that Jesus uh, has shown us the depth and degree of His love, not only by His coming and laying down His life, but by the way He lived His life as well. And so, if, if we're talking about a home comprised of people who are disciples of Jesus Christ, then they will also have His attitude and attribute of love, right? If you're a follower of Christ, then your life is going to be characterized by love. Now let's think for a minute about this. Um, First, I would note that there are some demands for love placed upon uh, us as Christians. Now, for example, in John 13 verses 34 and 35, you guys remember the context there in John 13, Jesus is going to die the next day. Uh, The next morning in in chapter 14, uh, he begins this uh, farewell discourse with his disciples. But in John 13, as he's in the upper room with them, uh, one of the things he does is wash their feet. And, of course, you sort of are familiar with how that plays out. But after that, he says to them that he gives them a new command. And the new command for his disciples, he says, is that they would love one another as he loved them, that they would love one another. Then he says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So he says three times there that his disciples are to love one another. And of course, that's not. Restricted to the context of the home, but Christians do this whether they're in the uh, meeting house or whether they're on the public street or whether they are in their homes. They love each other, isn't that right? That's what Christians do. Now, I find that in the Scriptures there are several occasions where the the command to love is specific to the home or the family. For example, and let's look at Ephesians five. We could, we won't uh, probably for the sake of time. But if we look at Ephesians 5, you'll recall that uh, he's talking about the marriage relationship and the church uh, the relationship between Christ and the church. He's talking about these things simultaneously. But notice in Ephesians 5, he says several times here that husbands in particular are to love their wives. You see in verse 25, husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. And he talks about the reasons why he gave himself so that he might sanctify the church, it to himself a glorious church without spot. And then he says in verse 28, again, even so ought husbands to love their own wives as their own bodies. He that loves his own wife loves himself. And so. In verse 25, he says it once. In verse 28, he actually says it twice, husbands are to love their wives. Now, generally, Christians are to love each other, but specifically, husbands are to love their wives. If you look at verse 33, which is his summation on this particular part of, uh, of this chapter, he says in verse 33... Uh, that the husbands ought to love individually. That is, they ought to love their own wives the way they love themselves. And so you can see in this passage from verse 22 to verse 33, he says at least the four times husbands are to love their wives. And you know how they are to love their wives? Uh, They are to love their wives the same way Christ loved the church. Now, that's exactly what Jesus said to his disciples. You love each other as I have loved you. Generally, all Christians. But then we see the Bible saying that husbands are to love their wives the way that Christ has loved the church. A parallel in Colossians three and verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Uh, Query, query. Why does God keep saying to husbands that they need to love their wives. Don't they just naturally love their wives? Don't you just, I mean, listen, she was attractive. So you ask her to marry you and don't you just naturally love her with everything you have every day you wake up. Don't you guys do that naturally? Yeah. Back then it was an arranged marriage. Okay. Okay. Um, Now that's an interesting thing. I won't go too far into that, but you know, the way I understand love, it wouldn't matter if it was arranged or not, right? Because what is love? If we were to define it, what is love? It's a relentless pursuit of another person's best good. A selfless, relentless pursuit of another's best good. So it has nothing to do with sort of romance, which is what we deal with. Right. I mean, we sort of get this feeling in our stomach and all that. Well, that's not what love is. That's infatuation. Infatuation fades. Love doesn't fade because love is not a feeling. It's a decision you make and a thing that you do. Um, So if you look at love in that way, that is the way it is depicted in the scriptures, uh, then it doesn't matter if it's arranged or not. It's a decision that I make that I will relentlessly pursue this other person's best interest. So when I ask the question, isn't this something that you naturally do each and every day? uh, Maybe you're the extraordinary person who does that each and every day you wake up and never thinking about yourself, always thinking about someone else. But most of us. Uh, Maybe we don't do that naturally. Maybe we have to be reminded of that. Maybe we have to consistently look into the word of God and be told to diminish our our interest in ourselves and to place the other person above ourselves. Most of us probably need to be reminded of that. I saw I see. Yes, sir. I appreciate that. Brother Hatcher said love is something you work on every day. And he said that it's something that you say. And we're going to mention that. I'm going to show you a couple of verses about that. But it's something that you say um, as well. So I just think it interesting that God seems to think it necessary to say to us fellas, love your wife, love your wife. Love your wife. Love your wife. Don't be bitter against them. Love your wife. Uh, Maybe we need to hear that. Um, I'm sure that we do because he keeps telling us that. In Titus chapter two, uh, you'll notice that in this passage, uh, the beginning of the chapter, he says that the older women or teach things that become sound doctrine uh, in verse number one. And then he says the older men are to do certain things in verse two. And then in verse three, he says the, the uh, older women are to behave a certain way. And then he tells us that part of the reason for that in verse number four is so that the older women can teach the younger women to love their husbands and to love their fathers. Um, not the same word translated love here. Um, Most of the time in the New Testament, the word that is translated love in the English is agape. Right. So that's most of us are kind of familiar with that. This the root of the two words translated love in this verse uh, is from phileo. Phileo, which has to do with a a familial love, uh, a familial affection. And so he says here that. Younger women are to be taught to love their husbands and to love their children. See, I think that interesting, too, because don't we most of the time think that this is just a natural thing, that a mother is going to love her husband or love her children and a wife is going to sort of love her husband? Well, there may be a degree to which it is uh, natural, the affection. But he says it's something that has to be trained and taught to be done properly. Why do you think that is? Yeah, now that's a great point. If love is an emotion, you don't have to teach emotions, right? I mean, I've never had the, the privilege, you know, of giving birth to a child, but um, I, I, I tend to believe and assume that, hey, listen, there is a natural connection that comes with, bar- with birthing a child between a mother and a child. You carry the child in your, in your womb for nine months and you give birth to the child. There's a natural connection there. But listen, how many times do you see where mothers don't know how to love their children? That doesn't mean they don't have affection for them, right? It doesn't mean they don't have a connection to them, but they don't know how to pursue the child's best interest, Anybody else ever see that? Because that's a lot of what's going on in the world. I think that's a lot of what's going on. And so the expectation then is that this is uh, there is some teaching and some training that goes with this. But God demands it. Love between a husband or to, from a husband to his wife, from a wife to her husband. And in this case, from a mother to her children. That is what we call the nuclear family. And the Bible says God demands that in a Christian home, that there would be love again, this relentless pursuit of one another's best interest. There are some passages um, where you can see where the Bible makes the statement, at least, that a father loves his children. I think, for example, about... um, Uh, Jacob, uh, Jacob and his sons, you know, and the Bible talks about the younger of the sons after he thought that Joseph was dead. He loved Benjamin. The Bible says it was the only son of of the one wife and the only brother that uh, that Joseph had. And he loved him. Of course, the great example of a father loving his children is who? It's the father in heaven, right? And Jesus says, you know, my father loves me, the son. And we see, you know, like the prodigal son and that example where God is, of course, the father there and how he loved the son, even though the son was wayward and so forth. Yes, sir, Brother Moon. Well, I think that's exactly right. If you didn't hear uh, Brother Moon, he just pointed out the world kind of has this completely turned upside down. And John 13, where he says, the world will know that you're my disciples by the love you show one to another. That specifically applies in the context of a Christian home. Right? You can show the world. And and, uh, I think we will come back to that verse uh, here in just a moment. The point is that the Bible demands uh, love. Of Christians generally, but in a Christian home, this has to be a defining attribute. Uh, God expects Christians to love him, to love their neighbors, to love their enemies, and guess what to love their families right? and sometimes we overlook this, the easiest application we want to run right out and focus on you know how we love our neighbors and i'm I mean you know it 's certainly not uh, beyond me to stand up and preach that because absolutely that 's true but Uh, we ought to start loving the people in our own house. I mean, that's where this begins. That's where we ought to, uh, that should be our first focus. And so God specifically calls us to do that. And of course, in a Christian home, we will do that. That is every relationship in the home. Every relationship in the home should be characterized by love between husband and wife, between parents and children. That's what it should be. Uh, In the Christian home, if we want it to be that way in the church, uh, it it better be that way in the home first. So that's demanded by the scriptures. I want to make this point. Uh, Brother Hatcher just made it for us, and I'd ask you to just consider these couple of verses. It it, it actually sticks out to me that Jesus was the kind of person who would say, I love you. And, uh, you know, a lot of men, this is just not... uh, Maybe naturally, it's not something that we would be inclined to say very often, but if I want to model my leadership after Christ's leadership, if I'm going to do it the way he did it, then I should take note of the fact that not only did he show his love daily and in dramatic ways, but he opened his mouth and said it. People didn't have to guess. Uh, And, you know, men, how we're built, most of us maybe are kind of action oriented. And so it's like, wait a minute. I mean, I get up and go to work every day. Don't you know that I love you? I mean, what what am I doing here? I'm working 60 hours a week. I mean, doesn't that mean something? Sure, it does. It just doesn't mean you don't have to say it. That's all. In John 13, Jesus says, I have loved you the way I have loved you. That's how you love one another. He says it there in John 15 in verse number nine. He says, as the father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. He declares his love for his disciples. My suggestion to you then is that there ought to be declarations of love in a Christian home. If Christ is the head of that home and we're all following his example Uh, then that means that the people who abide in a Christian home will verbally declare their care and affection for one another. Now, there are um, lots of books and things that you can read on this. I mean, I have seen some that will talk about. um, And. I mean, I'm just giving you the the, the benefit of what I have read. You know, these books will talk about how important it is for a man in particular to say to his wife, I love you, or for parents to say to their children, I love you. And it will talk about sort of the impact of doing that. And I'm sure there's some validity to all of that. But I think it can be a lot simpler than that. This is how Jesus loved his disciples. He said it, among other things, he opened his mouth and he said it. And I would characterize Jesus as a real man. The world may have some different ideas, but I would characterize Jesus as a man's man. Uh, we can argue about that, but I'm right. And, uh, and that means if we're going to be good leaders, then that's something that we should do, right? We, this is something that we should do. And so in the Christian home, People are going to say, I love you, and uh, they're not going to be shy about that. The rest of the time, I want to think with you about demonstrations of love, right? The, the scriptures demand love in a Christian home. And we all knew that. We knew that before we got here. And the scriptures demonstrate for us that Christ uh, made declarations of his love. And as we follow him, we will do that as well. But the scriptures also tell me that it's not enough to say it only uh, we have to display it as well. And, and first John three and 16 uh, beginning is uh, is a great uh, passage along these lines. Now there are some other ones, but this one I think is, is very good and pointed. So I'd like to read that with you in first John three beginning at verse 16. The Bible says hereby know we love. This is how we know what love is because, uh, He, Jesus, has laid down his life for us. And listen to this. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. See, this is how we know what love is. The only way we know what love is, is that we see God's love on display. When we see God's love on display, then you and I can know what real love is. It's not the stuff that people see on television. Um, and then he says, But whoso has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and shuts up his compassion from him, how does the love of God abide in him? That's a good question, right? Um, if your brother is in need and you have the ability to help and to aid, but you don't have enough compassion in your heart to help and aid, how can you say you love? What is compassion? The word compassion has to do with being moved by another person's plight, a feeling of being concerned about their their plight, coupled with a desire to alleviate their plight. Right. Um, The Bible says about Christ that he had compassion on the masses. What does that mean? Ah, He felt sorry for them. No, that's not the same thing. It means he was disturbed by their need and he was motivated to do something about their need. And so the question here is being asked, how can you say you love your brother when you see that they're in need and their need doesn't touch you and you have the ability to help and you don't do that? How could you say That you have a love for them. That is that you have an interest in pursuing their best good. You have the ability, but you don't move on that. Then you don't love. See, it's not a matter of it's not a matter of feeling. It's a matter of how you respond to people. Uh, And so then in verse 18, he says, my little children, let us not love in word. Um, I would insert the word only uh, because I think contextually that's what's being said. Let us not love in word. And by the way, Um, Part of the reason I say that is because uh, John, who's writing this epistle, says in his epistles uh, more than one time that he loves the people that he's writing to. Right. So he's not saying don't ever say it. He's saying don't do that only. Let us not love in word, neither with the tongue, he says, but in deed and truth. In a Christian home, people are going to say, I love you. Yes, they will. But people are going to display their love in a Christian home because they won't do it in word only. They won't use the tongue only, but they will love indeed. That means that they will do for one another in ways that manifest their care and affection for one another. Is that making good sense? Okay, Better listen to Brother Hatcher, y'all. He said you've got to live it. You don't just say it. You have to live it. Say again. A purposeful, a purposeful, conscious behavior. You know, that's a pretty good description of what love is. It definitely is purposeful, the pursuit of somebody else's best good. And it is conscious, right? It is an informed kind of thing. I mean, I make a decision about the person's circumstance and what they need, and then I move in a way to bring about their best interest under the circumstances. It is that. Well, I hope all of you heard Caleb. He said the last thing he said is actually moving to do something for someone is what John is alluding to here. And I just don't think it could be more clear. That is what he's alluding to right now. The idea he says, not in word or with the tongue, but the idea is only. okay. you're going to say that you're going to say, you know, I love the church. He says, listen, don't love in word or tongue. Now roll up your sleeves and do what needs to be done to put the church in the best position possible because that is what love is. And if you don't, how can you say that you love, right? How can you say that? Uh, so certainly I think that that is right. The idea is, uh, is that you're going to do those things that are consistent with the declaration you make with your mouth. There's a lot of things I could point out here. I want to just point out a couple. Um, and you guys uh, do feel free to... Make any kind of suggestions or uh, offer any any ideas that you want. I just want to mention a couple of things here as I just peruse through the Bible. These are some things that, in your house, uh, if you're going to have demonstrations of love, these are some of the things you might consider that you should have. Uh, you should be doing that. You should see. The first I mention is sincerity. I'm always impressed by John 13 and 1 in that passage. Uh, John says that Christ, Jesus, having loved his disciples, loved them to the end, he says. That is, it was a sincere love. It was a pure love. It was not a conditional love. There was no limit to his love. There was no self-seeking in it. It was it was sincere. He loved them to the end. This ragtag bunch of guys who were just as imperfect as a human being could be. He knew their weaknesses and their faults and their frailties better than anyone. And when it says he loved them to the end, you know who that included. Uh, That included a fella like Peter, who he knew would deny him in a pretty short period of time. That included a man like Judas, who he knew would betray him. Um, But it wasn't based on who they were. It wasn't based on, you know, how great they were. It was based on who he was and his love didn't end because they were imperfect. And uh, that's what love in your house is going to look like when you when you live with someone, you have the benefit of seeing them at their weakest times. You know, when you come in here, it's like boy, if I can put on my game face for about. 75 minutes and depending on who's preaching i guess it could be 90 i'm gonna put my game face on for an hour an hour and a half here and then i can go back to being who i really am well see your family knows that really am they know the good the bad and the ugly um but love is going to love you anyway. It's going to seek your best good anyway. It's not, the, it's not the affection part of it. Love is going to seek your best interest anyway. And so that's what's happening in the home because we're exposed to one another more than we're exposed to everybody else. And so that has to be there. Another thing I'd mention, of course, is uh, sacrifice. And there's several times that um, you see this in the Bible. But in Ephesians 5 and 2... The Bible says that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Now, you see that many times in the New Testament. That's just one of those references. But the idea of sacrifice. You know, in a home, we have to make sacrifices for each other. We have to make sacrifices to put one another in a better position. Um, You know, I'm I'm quite thankful to my wife. I was reminding some guys of this, uh, you know, over this last weekend. You know, wives in particular have to make a lot of sacrifices um, for their husbands. Sometimes, you know, if their husband has some career aspirations or he's trying to do something in the church or whatever, you know, wives oftentimes are taking on... Uh, a greater burden or they're foregoing certain opportunities that they may have so that their husband can pursue something. They're making sacrifices. And my suggestion is that men ought to reciprocate that. Men ought to turn around and they ought to give up some things so that their wives can go and do things and pursue certain things As well, in a Christian home, there should be mutual sacrifice, a giving up of one another, giving up of ourselves for one another. See, in a Christian home, that has to be happening. What I find sometimes is, uh, you know, maybe the man still has to grow in understanding about what leadership is. And so maybe his thinking is everybody in here is supposed to be serving me. And so I get to sort of But no, really, if you do this the way Jesus does it, Jesus gives himself up to put everyone else in a better position. And uh, a father and a husband is going to have to do that. He's going to have to show his family how to do that. Um, So sacrifice, sacrifice, a sacrificial attitude uh, should be prevailing. Service, of course, in Galatians 5 and 13, the Bible says, Uh, That we ought to use our love, not use our freedom as an excuse uh, to sin, but instead we ought to serve one another because of our love. Now, if I'm supposed to serve my brothers and sisters in Christ because of my love, does that only include my brothers and sisters in Christ outside of my home? Mm. See, that wouldn't make any sense, would it? If it's a Christian home, then we're trying to leave. Everyone in the house is trying to follow after Christ. And especially, you know, husband and the wife, all those passages, every passage you can read in the Bible uh, that talks about what Christians ought to do for one another. Every one of them applies to the husband and the wife. It's just interesting. We just jump right past that and we start trying to live this out among people that we barely know. But the person who's right here in the house with us, that's where you live it out first. And serving one another because of our love would be one of them. Uh, You know, you guys know that in the past uh, few months here, we've had... uh, <laughs> We've had two boys in casts, okay? So we had the younger boy with two casts on both of his feet and in a wheelchair for a period of time and uh he's the more rambunctious of the two, so you know, we were a little concerned he doesn't get to bounce off the walls. He's going to sit in this uh sit in this wheelchair for a few weeks at a time, but You know what that meant? I mean, it just meant everybody else had to focus on serving him and, you know, getting him whatever he needs. And his uh, his older brother was uh, was really a superstar in that respect. I mean, everything his brother needed, he was he was there to to do it and he had to do it for several weeks of time. Well, you know, and I talked to him about that. I said, listen, your brother, he's going to maybe get frustrated and stuff like that. I mean, we've really got to pitch in and try to help And he did a great job with that. Well, lo and behold, a little little time later, older brother goes and breaks his arm. Um, And so I have the same kind of conversation with the younger brother. Now, you remember how when you were in the wheelchair for all that time, how your brother was helping you out. Well, now it's our time to turn around and help him. He's got one hand. Now, you don't think about this because I didn't. Um, But hey, every time he goes to the restroom, he's got one hand. That one hand has to be washed, you know. So, you know, Dad, can you wash my hand for me? Yeah, I'll wash it. You were in here a long time. I mean, I'm not excited about this one, you know. Uh, <laughs> the younger brother, you know, is uh, getting a little bit tired of washing the hand every five or ten minutes. But you know what? This is what we do. We've got someone who needs our help, so we, we pitch in help. You know, we've got chores around here, and because one of you is... Down. That's more work on everybody else, but we all pitch in to do what needs to be done. I'm just saying. Now, those. That's something really recent that was happening in my house, but that's just how life in a Christian home is. We serve each other. We look for ways to lighten one another's burden and to be a help. Uh, that kind of attitude and spirit ought to prevail. In Proverbs 17:17, 17, 17, a friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. Um, in a Christian home, there's going to be support. There's going to be difficult things that happen. There are going to be hard times. There are going to be challenges. And if you can't find support anywhere else, you know that you'll have it in your home. You know that because that's what a Christian home is going to be about, loving and supporting each other along the way. Um, this idea of suffering, you guys know that 1 Corinthians 13 and 4, the Bible says, first thing, love suffers long. That is, uh, love holds up under the burden that is imposed by someone else or their circumstances. That's the same word, the Greek word, where it says that God was, in 1 Peter 3, God was long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. God puts up with us and the burden that we create. That was his love that allows him to do that. And the Bible says love suffers long. So in a Christian home, you know, we're going to have to put up with each other. That's just how that works. Uh, We're going to have to suffer from one another. And we deal with the consequences of one another's mistakes in a in a special way because of that. Last thing I'll say uh, in my quick list here is the idea of sharpening one another. That's a demonstration of love. You guys remember when the rich young ruler comes to Christ and he says he wants to uh, inherit eternal life. And Christ says, well, listen, you're doing all these other things. Fine. That's great. Now go and sell. He looks at him. The Bible says he looks at him and loved him and told him the one thing he was lacking. He was trying to make him better. And in a Christian home, sometimes we have to look at each other and we see the one thing that is lacking and we bring that to one another's attention to help us to be better. Okay, that's our time.